0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Cybersecurity and Cloud podcast. Today, we have a topic that probably nobody has ever spoken in the recent time. That <laughs> is going to be application security, vulnerability management, but the whole things that has taken by the storm, the industry, that is fundamentally love for Jace. And today, we have a special guest. But before we crack on, let, let us start with our intro.
1: Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. This episode is sponsored by AppSec Phoenix, the next generation application security platform, enabling organizations to run application security programs in a smart way. Visit www.appsecphoenix.com to learn more.
0: All right, all right, all right. We are back. So I'd like to welcome Steele Wilson, that came. Uh, we started chatting over over a Twitter over a Twitter thread uh, around, of course, Op4J. So I've invited him on the show to actually chat a little bit about the topic and his particular take. is being he's the Chief Product Officer of Contrast Security, one product that we absolutely love, and we saw that was quite well reacting. On the log4j issue, but also he's an early member of the Java team on the early 90s. But before I, I, I talk through it, let me welcome Steve. Steve, welcome on the show. Hey, thank you, Francisco, for having me. Really looking forward to it. Brilliant. And can you give our audience a little bit about your background? What brought you into cyber? You know, how did you start the journey from the early days with Java?
2: Yeah, so, um, I started out really early in my career, uh, back in the 90s at Sun Microsystems, I was an early member of the Java development team. Um, went on from working really around development tools, developer tools for several years and then shifted my focus over to cloud. And I spent a lot of time at large companies like Oracle and Citrix building cloud services and cloud infrastructure. and Really uh, got exposed to a lot of the security challenges that are out there in the industry and decided about a year ago that I wanted to really move into the cybersecurity industry from the inside. And so I joined Contrast a little over a year ago to head product development.
0: Nice, fantastic, and and we need we need more more ally in cyber, especially over over these challenging times. But we have a tradition on the show that we give an overview on the industry of what's working, what's not working. So, what would be your take on on what's going on?
2: Yeah, so um, with the area of the industry that we're really focused on, looking at the security of applications and code. It's a really challenging environment out there. I think what we really see is that over the past several years, the complexity in software out there means that um, the number of security vulnerabilities in a typical program is, is escalating dramatically as they get larger and more complicated. And really the fact is human brains have a hard time uh, dealing with the complexities in the number of pads and things that are through the code today. And so, you know, really this industry around application security has developed there to um, create tools that uh, people can use to make their applications sec- more secure. But one of the big shifts going on now is really moving from a focus on standalone security teams working to Audit applications, sort of, almost after they're done, to really bringing that security mindset into development at the beginning, and really creating a new culture where um, security comes very early in the cycle of what's going on with code development.
0: Right, and I, I think, I think we're moving towards that space. But as you rightfully say, the number of vulnerability and the number of issue. That a lot of organizations are finding are escalating uh, over and over and over. And that's just on application security. But then, you know, development team and now DevOps teams are faced with, you know, the cloud issue, the cloud misconfiguration, the deployment in the cloud, then the container based container image. You know, landscape is, in my opinion, becoming quite, quite uh, intense and is complicated for uh developer team and security team to have that broad spectrum of knowledge. But then you take even an executive to need to make decision of what is your target? what What is security? What security looking like or what good looks like? What's your take on that?
2: Yeah, well, I think that um, in what I'll call the olden days, which were really not that long ago, in a pre-cloud world, you could Depend a lot more on the idea that many of your applications were hidden behind a firewall that they were not exposed to the internet and thus less valuable in a in a cloud based world in a zero trust based world more and more of your applications really are on the internet, and that means mm-hmm. that every one of these vulnerabilities is a potential um, place that you could be exploited and you know when we start working with a new customer and help them start to evaluate their applications, we'll find that typical applications have dozens of vulnerabilities in them, um, potentially serious ones. And then you look at a a large corporation, they may have thousands of applications in their environment. So it's it's not uncommon to see a, a Fortune 500 or Global 2000 company having tens of thousands of discrete vulnerabilities in their software. And so, from an executive point of view, the question is, how do you manage that? There's uh, sometimes a snapback reaction that says, um, "We better stop everything that we're going that we're doing (laughs) and and fix this." On the other hand, every company today is a software company. Your competitive advantage is in your software. Your ability to compete in the market, your ability to deliver new services, is dependent on that. And so, the challenge as a leader is, how do I balance the real risk? With my my need to compete in the market and deliver new value to my customers,
0: right? And you know, I, I like your take. I really like your take on the risk because I think. Um, because there are a lot of tooling around different areas, you know, you have cloud security, infrastructure security, container security. You know, you have your pentest report coming in, your red teaming just trying in different things, your uh, security lifecycle tooling that is dust mask, and, and you name it, Rust. You know, and and, and more of mm-hmm. more of those coming. And despite that, every tool is is doing. A different level of of scanning and and trying to reduce the false positive. I think what we're missing in a lot of program of work and a lot of these organization is the contextualization and, and the breadth of view of uh, where are those kind of element deployed that could potentially, uh, in my in my humble opinion, simplify a lot of those kind of conversation and the conversation that traditionally happen between security team, development team and executive because everybody could have an opinion on that. While if we display the complexity of the landscape, nobody will be able to inform the opinion unless they're very technical. So what do you think, Steve?
2: Yeah, so this this element of risk analysis is is really critical and you know, Log4j is a really good example of this. This is this is an exploit or a, a vulnerability that has exploits that are incredibly high risk, right? It's a it's a 10 out of 10 CVS, CVSS score mm-hmm. um, because it's you know you're you're basically enabling complete remote code execution on your servers, and it's really easy to exploit. But when you really go look at it, and and we've been looking at this specifically with customers, you know, we estimate something like 50, 56% of the Java applications out there are packaging of vulnerable right. um, version of Log4J. But when you really look at it, it actually matters how you use it, um, whether your application is vulnerable. And so being able to have tools that are able to analyze, not just do you have one of these things, the sort of naive view, but but are you really vulnerable? That's really, really critical to you being able to, for example, prioritize the work that you're going to do. What are you going to mitigate first? Um, Because again, if you have thousands of applications, you know how are you going to do this all at once? Can't can't do this in a day. This is going to be going on honestly for weeks or months. Um, So yeah, being able to really establish risk in an urgent situation like this for triage, but then. More on a day-to-day basis, when you're dealing with an environment where, um, you know, dozens, hundreds, or even thousands of software developers continually building new software, how do you evaluate the the risk of different um, conditions, vulnerabilities, and really decide where you need to make compromises in terms of your development, and and really lean into to securing yourself versus continuing to generate that um, that new business value.
0: Right, absolutely absolutely agree. And and I think the other thing that we saw that was working um was also trying to prioritize the things that are externally exposed, that is easily attackable. And you know, every team right now is scrambling and trying to find a way to, as you rightfully say, you know, if you if you belong to an enterprise that has multiple uh deployment, even your webcam could be vulnerable <laughs> to log4j. But maybe if we take a step back um, I wanted to understand, considering you come from that kind of environment in Java in the early days, I want to understand what happened in there. Why Why are we facing with a vulnerability that is so easy to exploit, that should be really never been in the place, uh, You know, something so trivial of a uh, send a string and that string can then execute uh, whatever RCE or remote code execution, and then download whatever payload, you can want and want. How how are we in that situation
2: in the year 2022? So um, it's it's really interesting to think back to the early days of Java, and so much emphasis was on creating it as a secure environment. You know, the, right. really Java pioneered these concepts like having the the security manager in the runtime that managed what permissions things had, but but a lot of that in, in the inception of Java was you have to rewind so far to remember that Java was originally intended for environments like set top boxes and running applets in a browser. Hmm. And so the, the security manager was for things like making sure that um your your Java applet couldn't escape the sandbox and get onto somebody's desktop. Um, the actual security of Getting something into the Java runtime environment wasn't what the team was optimizing for originally. And so when, when you look at this log4j um vulnerability, I think there's a couple of things that come in. Obviously, logging is in some ways the least glamorous um thing, you know, task that you can think of. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and um you know the this log4j library is more than 20 years old it's been um you know it got created then it got donated to apache it's been in apache for 20 years now with a with a very small team of honestly very dedicated folks maintaining it but it, but it's a it's a small team with minimal investment and minimal tooling and while it doesn't seem glamorous um this library has been copied literally millions of times, different versions of it at different points in different physical locations. So, you know, you think about, okay, there's a bug and I want to patch the bug. All right. Well, that's, that's one challenge, but the problem is the the offending code has been copied millions of times around the planet. So there's, there's right. no single place to fix it. On top of that, um, you know, the, the, confluence of events that create this vulnerability and make it exploitable are pretty insidious in terms of the the snarly code path you have to go through And while the exploit is trivial, um, the vulnerability is actually really intricate. And so you know what that means is the the first attempt that the team put out at Apache to fix the vulnerability um, it, it didn't even fix it. So you know people went out and started patching, to a new version of the log4j library, and now they're having to go back and do it again. And so, in, in a lot of ways, I think what we're going to find is is people continuing to hammer on some of this, and um, until we really get to the bottom of it, and then we're going to start the long, arduous process of patching this. Um, and we fun. have, you know, certain places where they have tooling in place and they're able to execute very, very quickly on it, and that's you know one of the things we're really proud about it contrast is that i think we have tooling that in some ways was designed for the fact that someday this would happen and it and it's been great to work with customers and and kind of feel like we're helping them but so many places don't have that kind of tooling in place they're using um you know free and open source tools to do their software composition analysis that don't have enterprise level management they're writing scripts trying to figure this out themselves And then you get all the way to the limit case you know you mentioned something like your webcam could be vulnerable and that that's not absurd at all we've seen out in the industry now um very specific attacks where people are targeting things like snmp um where they're actually going out and looking for embedded devices and those embedded devices are going to have in some cases literally no way to update them right and you know I want to cover this in detail, but before we jump on that, we have
0: to we have, to have a, a small section for our sponsors.
1: This episode is brought to you by the generosity of AppSec Phoenix Limited. AppSec helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security problems by using smart data aggregation and complex machine learning software. Discover how AppSec Phoenix helps CISO and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at www.appsecphoenix.com. AppSec Phoenix is the new and smart dev first way to manage your software vulnerability. Follow the tag, hashtag AppSecSmart. All
0: right, brilliant. And thank you again for AppSec Phoenix, for so our sponsor and, and keeping us running. But uh, I wanted to, to touch point on this, on this particular topic, because I remember Jeff, uh, kind of wrote a white paper like six or seven years ago, and it actually presented it to Black Hat as well. This is not a new thing. The industry has been screamed about, this is something that will happen. This is something that will be out there. And and now it suddenly happened. And I I do also subscribe to your view and to your pain in, in a way that code has been forked so many times and have been distributed in so many places that it becomes very, very complex to fix it and we're never gonna know that the, the extreme expansion. But maybe on on, on there, the other more scary topics that I want us to maybe debate, if that's what was one library, what's stopping attacking now at poking at the other side of libraries to discover um similar log4j kind of problems. What do you think?
2: Well, look, I th- the way I like to say this is: this has happened before, and it will happen again, right? If we if we rewind a few years ago to 2017, the Apache Struts library had a severe right. vulnerability in it, and that is um, a a less used library than Log4j, but the same basic concept is there. Popular open source library embedded in lots and lots of places. Um, with a vulnerability in it that could lead to really severe consequences. And, you know, what's interesting is the world remembers this vulnerability, but they don't remember it as the struts vulnerability. They remember it as the Equifax breach, right. <laughs> right? And, um, there were many people that were breached from that, but if you don't remember this one, about 150 million people lost their um, their personal financial info from Equifax, which is one of the global credit rating organizations. And as a result, they, they wound up paying $425 million in fines um, for not being secure. Um, but the, the interesting thing here is, um, Did the world learn anything from this? And they absolutely did, right? If you look at the difference in response between the struts vulnerability and the log4j vulnerability, um, one of the reasons that um, uh, Equifax was penalized so heavily is they could have done much better. Mm. Um, This was, for them, not a zero-day vulnerability. It was was a disclosed vulnerability. It was well-known there were patches that were available and they simply did not act on it um what's interesting here to see the difference 4 years later is that the industry realized how serious this was
0: um you class. know
2: I, yeah, yeah you know on thursday night last week um people started exploiting this in minecraft of all places you know minecraft <laughs> the popular video game um, You know, famously is written in Java. You know, I remember a few years ago, my daughter went to coding camp over the summer and learned to write um, her first Java programs as Minecraft extensions. So, you know, probably millions of people learn to program by hacking on Minecraft. And so um, <laughs> in some great. ways it's... It's not surprising that that was the, not the first place that this was exploited, but the, the place people realized how serious this was is people were exploiting this by putting messages into the Minecraft chat window. That was how easy it was to exploit. Um, but that was happening on Thursday and Thursday night. Um, you know, our research team at contrast started getting information about this, um, You know, I heard something about it, I went to bed and I got up at at five in the morning the next morning, I get up early, I'm on the west coast of the US and we have teams in Europe, so I get up early to talk to them. And I had Slack messages um, from our our, uh, chief architect that said, Steve, you need to call me right now. And I talked to him and he said, you know, by Friday morning, he said, Steve, this is the most serious thing I've ever seen. Um, We have to help our customers get in front of this. And so, you know, you started to see the news coming out on Friday. Um, People were reacting to it. Not everywhere. There's it's it's far from perfect and it's far from uniform. But but the industry is jumping on this. And the there are let's say the more advanced shops are much better prepared. The tooling is better. Um, It's absolutely better than it was four years ago. And so we, we have moved forward from that. But then your question is, will this happen again? of course it will yeah. um the 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 fact that we still build software where you know you see different different figures but up to 80% of the code in a typical business application is open source and so really what people are starting to talk about you know um started before this really going back to solar winds But the the topic around software supply chain management is now the hot topic. And I think that's actually a really good way to phrase it because it makes it a bigger problem than just thinking about managing vulnerabilities. It's about understanding where your code's coming from, what's the providence of it, um, and being able to really understand that end to end. And I think that's going to be the next step in making this better.
0: So shall we, will we start seeing vulnerability deploying stack trace? That's gonna be the next one gonna get hit.
2: <laughs> oh my!
0: Am I giving wrong suggestions to the wrong people? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because after after open source, that's the most used kind of tool by every single developer on earth. And I'm pretty sure, actually. Some of my friends actually have done this experiment of publishing. Uh, exploit and POC with vulnerable code in there. So you had hackers actually just blindfoldingly trusting a piece of software, just downloading, executing it with boom in there and and a callback home. And it was a friendly experiment by NTT Labs, but um, it, it was quite interesting to see how blind trust was deployed on you know piece of code running on the web that is like going outside and asking candy to a stranger right
2: yeah well the um you know the the more insidious example of this is something we started to see earlier this year is a rise in um attacks that it it's going by different names but dependency confusion is one of them mm. And when you think about the way that that people's build systems and CI/CD systems work, they're they're constantly going out on the internet and pulling down these packages from massive open source repositories, where you actually, um, you know, you're you're somewhat hoping that you're getting the right thing. And actually, a lot of the ways that these work, you're you're only providing a general description of the package that you want, and it's trying to find the one that's best fit. And people have found that they can go and create their own version of popular open source libraries, put them up in those repos and have people pull them down. And um, one of our researchers at Contrast went, went and did a proof of concept with this, went and looked for applications that looked like they were exposed to this. And actually Microsoft Teams wound up being a good example. Now, Microsoft's an investor and a partner um, uh, and we're in their bug bounty program. So we, we did this all above board, but. Um, We actually created some open source libraries um, and Microsoft pulled them down and compiled them into um, teams, into their binary. And it was just an example of how even a sophisticated software shop um, can be vulnerable to this. So, you know, they've hardened their processes since then, but other people have not. This is a really new example of of a vulnerability out there of being able to divert the software supply chain um, to, you know, a a hacker's nefarious ends. And so the ability of someone to go and create their own version of an open source library with some nefarious code, um, you know, we've seen this so far, largely people doing things like dumping in crypto miners, um, and and that's well documented, but we know there must be examples of much more nefarious usage. Yeah, or ransomware.
0: That uh, I think, absolutely. Uh, I saw I saw in a couple of days ago, uh, payload and Conti starting to deploy this as as potentially ransomware or, or ransomware payload. So we start seeing fundamentally uh, ransomware going towards this, and that's that's the other scary part that the industry, uh, from the attacker perspective, seems to have industrialized the use of this massive scale vulnerability. And that's the most scary factor that we had just a week or maybe two time to actually breed detect vulnerability. So time to detection and, and and remediation is actually being shorted dramatically. I mean, our, our statistic goes from roughly three to 15 days to deploy something like this at scale and has been confirmed basically uh, by this. But it's I think it's, it's a scary factor. And then on the other side, maybe here more in the UK, we saw Fundamentally, British Airways being attacked with a much more malicious code, where somebody uh, uh, fundamentally hijacked one of the developer trusted accounts and injected malicious code in a library. So that's that's even worse, you know. And I, I agree with you; it's it, it double down on the subject of controlling your supply chain, but controlling how you're pulling things, where you're deploying, and. In my humble opinion, I think we've been, we've been using security in the wrong way right now. And we've been putting them in the front foot and firefighting vulnerability on day in and day out. And they kind of lost their way by not focusing on systemic thing and on strategic thing, like creating a proxy for libraries of, or analyzing open source of what comes in and out, like what the, the security team uh, in contrast does. And that's how we should be using back security team for that instrumental systemic change rather than day in and day out management of vulnerability. What do you think save
2: yeah, I mean look I think the the day to day management of vulnerability actually to some extent hasn't been done at all in a lot of shops <laughs> right it's been um it's been completely pushed off to a um uh, periodic scanning-based procedure run by the security team where you scan things on a quarterly or even yearly basis. And I, I lived this in my last job. It's one of the reasons I got excited about, um, about this job opportunity when it came up was I was running a large development team and the head of engineering came to me and said, um, I need to cancel all the features that I promised for next quarter because the security team just ran a scan and filed a thousand JIRA tickets. Um, and, and now there was this record of this potential vulnerability that we were obliged to deal with. And it turned out most of them weren't real vulnerabilities. Almost all of them weren't. Um, but it wound up being a huge amount of work to, to sift through it. On the other hand, for um, for companies that really adopt this DevSecOps um, attitude and get the right tooling in place to enable it, um, you find a potential vulnerability um, maybe before you even complete your pull request to put the, put the software back. And it's just like any other bug. Um, if the bug gets into the code base, it's 10 times as expensive to fix it as it was for the developer to fix it on their desktop. Um, if it actually gets out to a customer, it's a hundred times more expensive. And, you know, with security, given the stakes, it's much worse than that. So, um, the, the real shift here is to push so much more of the responsibility down to this, um, to the developers, but also really not make the developers responsible for it because it's hard for developers, but to put the right tool chain around them that makes it easy. And it really is possible with the modern tools to do that now. And that's the big opportunity to change how we do development.
0: Right. Uh, I agree with you. It should be uh, it should be a collaboration be, between shift left and there could be some more automation in the place because a lot of this, as you rightfully say, is still pretty much reactive. It's still pretty much that debate and discussion. And then the endless argument between the security team and the development team saying this is false positive. This is internal. Uh, is a false positive rather than, you know, it. it's accepted the risk and it's different priorities and stuff like that. So uh, I think we can do better at DevSecOps to actually remove security people on doing consistently this firefighting and this endless debate um, and, and, and automate a lot of the relationship, but also the detection of... Um, false positive based on contextual aspect and contextual information if you can actually exploit it if it's actually visible to attacker then you know we, we focus on it because otherwise we're going to be always over flooded by uh these issues and you know log4j's or similar are going to keep on piling up right
2: absolutely i mean i think we really do have the the tools at our disposal and the processes. Um, being developed out there in the industry to to just fundamentally shift this, change the game, and make this so much more efficient and create really much more secure applications as a result. Fantastic! And
0: I guess we 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 this is just a, a nice input to the to the conclusion that is the positive message on our industry. So if you want to double down on that, Steve, uh, what will be your positive message overall? Rather than we we have the tool
2: and we have the technology and we can rebuild it. <laughs> Look, I think going going back to a little bit earlier, I think the good news is, you know, this has happened before. The industry has moved a tremendous distance since the struts vulnerability, for example. Um, this really um, would be much worse if we weren't in the position that we are now, that we had better understanding of the risks, better tools, better processes, um, we have the tools out there now, widely deployed to understand your your open source footprint. What's vulnerable? Um, we have the tools in place that help people upgrade and fix this. We even have tools today, like like RASP tools, that can protect you. And we've seen evidence that these RASP tools were protecting people um, before day zero. Now, so mm. really, we're in a position where we're moving forward um, so quickly that um, look, there's no end in sight for this, but really the bar has raised dramatically. And if we work together as an industry, the next time this happens, we'll be even better prepared.
0: Fantastic. And yeah, I, I agree with you. We've seen a, an enormous collaboration between teams and information out there. So I, I really appreciated that collaboration and and enjoyed seeing that collaboration and the community getting together. to to fix. But uh, on the conclusion of the show, if people want to find more about what you do day in and day out, where where is the best place for them to contact you and how they can get you? So
2: please please come over, um, check out what we're doing at the contrastsecurity.com website. You can get all the details on all of our commercial tools. also, check out our blog there. There's a link off the front page to some free and open source tools that we've put out to help with Log4J in particular. So we really want people in the community to engage with us on this. Also, feel free to reach out to me direct on LinkedIn.
0: All right, brilliant. And everybody, thank you very much. We we understand that everybody is tired and stressed. Uh, we really hope that everybody can enjoy Christmas at some point stage your time and get away from the for jay unfortunately attacker don't sleep so defender don't don't sleep either but we're gonna get ahead of this together so this is your host francesco i had the pleasure to talk with steve wilson and the chief product officer for contra security and i wish you everybody to stay safe and have a lovely christmas thank you
1: We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com.